Welcome to Talking Business and Life with Claudio Relsano and Steve Mancini. Claudio and Steve will share their business and life experience to help you grow your business and improve your life. Here's Claudio and Steve. Hello, I want to thank you so much for tuning in to our brand new show, Talking Business and Life with Claudio Relsano and Steve Mancini. I am Claudio Relsano. And I am Steve Mancini. All right, and thank everybody for tuning in. You know, we've been wanting to do this show for quite a while, and uh, as we said, we use the word impact a lot, Steve. And, and before we go, we have to thank our great producer. Giuseppe. Joe, that's right, Joe Hale, who also did, does the intros and outros. But um, we want to have impact on people. We want to share our life experiences, our business experiences, and um, tell you how we navigated through both uh, the ups and downs in business, the ups and downs in life. And uh, before we talk about today's topic, which will be dealing with rejection, because we've all dealt with rejection, still deal with rejection, uh, we're going to introduce ourselves a little bit more. Why should anybody listen to two guys, two Italian guys about business and life? Who are we? But uh, Steve, we'll, we'll lead off with you. Uh, introduce yourself. Picture. Well, I was born in a log cabin on a river. No, <laughs> no um, so again, I'm born and raised in Pittsburgh. Uh, like a lot of people, though, um, you know, I went off to the military very young. I was 17 years old. And, and by the way, on, on one of our previous episodes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie this back. My daughter mentioned on Italian Impact Weekly, we interviewed the kids. She says, oh, there was a story my dad tells about when he showed up and he had nothing but a toothbrush. Yeah. When I left home at 17 years, and this is, and this is really what it comes down to. When I left home at 17 years old, I think I went to boot camp, I just turned 18. I had nothing in my pockets. I had no money, I didn't even own a car, I didn't even have a driver's license. I had nothing. Mm -hmm. And so I went to boot camp. Um, in, the, in the middle of boot camp, I actually changed my career paths. So I was supposed to go fly on helicopters and hunt submarines, I was enlisted, I was gonna just be what's called an anti-submarine warfare operator and I thought, there's absolutely, one, I have zero desire to do this when I kind of think about it. And two, what's my career options? Because I knew after about 10 minutes in the Navy that I wanted to get out of the Navy. Mm. Proud to have served, proud to have been in the Navy, but uh, I just wanted to get out. So, you know, I changed my career path in the Navy, ended up becoming an aviation electrician. I spent most of my time overseas. Again, some funny things here. So the first place I went to was the Philippines. And I was stationed there, and while I was there, uh, uh, one of my you know coworkers, he was a little bit, a couple of ranks above me, and he said, you know, you got to go to school, you got to go to school. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll go to school. And I'm telling you, he like literally was like, you know, you need to go to school because he had seen what happens to a lot of guys in the military, especially back then. They didn't emphasize education, mm -hmm. and so he saw what happens when people say later, later, later. This is going to be something we're going to talk about at some point. When people go later, 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 and they procrastinate. It's just like the Pink Floyd song, Time. The next thing you know, you're going to look back and you go, whoa, where'd the time go? It's gone. And so he kept pushing me. I'm like so thankful that he pushed me because I did enroll in classes. They were interrupted by a natural disaster, which wiped out the base, killed a lot of people. But eh, that's a whole other story for another show. But it was bad, but we recovered from it. That was there during Mount Pinatubo. So anybody who was there or remembers that will know that. So I started my education, but I didn't finish it because I wasn't there long enough. So I, then I get stationed over in Japan. Now keep this in mind. By the time I left Japan, I'd been overseas for almost six years, and I'd only been back in the States for about three weeks for transitioning from the Philippines to Japan. So in almost six years, I'd only been to America for about three weeks. And, um, but during that time, I kept going to night school. 
And so when I finally came back to the States, I at least had an associate's degree and some of, most of my bachelor's done. So now I get my bachelor's done. This is all, this is, for people that are listening, this is going somewhere. You always got to bear with my stories. They, go, they end up somewhere. So now I come back to the States and because I've been overseas so long, they gave me what's called shore duty in the Navy. They sent me to, they sent me to California. I was in shore duty. So that means I didn't have to go on a ship. So I'm there and I finished my bachelor's degree. But again, I'm like, I'm getting out of the Navy. So I finally got out of the Navy after nine and a half years. When I got out of the Navy, again, didn't have any money, had a wife and a couple of kids and a lot of debt because you don't make a lot of money in the military. And, you know, if you want to buy things back, you know, it, it, there was a time when military, military doesn't make a lot of money now considering what they do. But there was a time when the military really didn't make a lot of money. <laughs> right. And so I, but, but I got out and I said, I don't care. I hate the Navy. I'm getting out. And I, and I got out. Did my time, served honorably nine and a half years, got out, finished my bachelor's degree, went off and got a commission in the Air Force. Because I like the military, just didn't like being enlisted in the Navy. Anybody that's in the Navy enlisted goes, yep, I know what you mean. So I go off and get my commission. That's when my life changed. It changed for a couple of reasons. One, expectations were set for me that were very different than up to that point in life. Hey, you're going to be a commissioned officer. You need to present yourself a certain way. You need to speak a certain way. You need to do things a certain way. You need to eat a certain way. You need to walk a certain way. Now, all of a sudden, now I've got to be a professional. Now, what's funny was before I got the commission, I was working as a contractor. I was in San Diego. And I'm working as a contractor. And um, I was doing a really good job. My boss just gives me a promotion. And, and he gives me a nice little raise. Most money I ever made in my life. By the way, at the time, the most money I ever made in my life in 1999 was about $37,000. Up to that point in my life, it was the most money I'd ever made in my life. And he gives me a little bump. And I'm like, man, I'm not going anywhere. And he's like, stop. He's like, you can get these jobs a dime a dozen. He again pushed me, says, no, go take that commission. Because I almost didn't take the commission. So I get the commission. Now, now all of a sudden I have, to, I have to be a different person. While I'm there, the Air Force sends me off to get my master's degree. Opens up an entire new world to me. Because now all of a sudden I'm like, for the first time, I'm not going to night school. I'm actually being paid full time to go to school. And you know what I learned? I learned I liked education. It, where it wasn't an arm twist, it was like, hey, I kind of like this. It changed me a little bit. So I finished my tier cure up in the Air Force. I retire, go off, work for the government down in Washington, D.C. area. Then I leave. I come back here to Pittsburgh about, about 10 years ago now. And I worked for a nonprofit. I was a CTO, Director of Strategic Operations, um, kind of a senior-level person in the organization. And um, during that time, again, now you're learning different things. Now you're learning, you know, how to do budgets. Because now when you're, when you're not working for the government, budget actually means something. When you're working for the government, budget doesn't mean anything. It's just a number they throw on paper and somebody approves it and you just hope Congress gives you your money. And they almost always invariably do. So now I have to learn all this, how to lead an organization piece, how to supervise a lot of people. And I did that as an officer, but it was different. When you have a, when you have a rank on your shoulder and someone's below you, you don't have to earn their respect. You don't have to be nice. You should, but you don't have to be. You just say, hey, I need you to go do this. Okay, I, you know, yes, sir, whatever. All right, they go do it. Now when you're in industry, when you're in private sector, it's like, hey, I need you to do this. Why? <sighs> because I said so. Well, I ain't good enough. All right, let me explain what's going on. Okay, now you learn how to treat people a little differently. So now, and not only that, but now you start learning how to deal with the problem cases where it's not as simple as, you know, if you don't do this, you're going to get in trouble and, you know, you wag the finger. So I leave that, go back to the government, now I finish my doctorate. I started teaching somewhere in that time that I started teaching and uh, I was teaching a lot of graduate courses. I taught over at Pitt for a little while, taught, taught a course over in Seton Hill, taught at um, uh, Carlo and been teaching at RMU for a bunch of years. I'm actually going to be 
going to RMU full, going teaching here full time, you know, in, in a few months. Um, once once the end of summer comes, which is where we're taping, by the way. That's right. Never always give a shot. So my point though is is, and we're and we're going to talk about more about this, but but this whole like everything just comes easy. <laughs> we're we're gonna we're gonna beat that we're gonna beat that you know that nail to death because that is I like to say that I I feel like I'm successful not because I got a million dollars in the bank. I don't. But I'm doing fine. I've got money in the bank. I've got money in my 401k. I've, I'm, you know, I've got an education. You know, I can do things now. I can go on nice vacations. I got a great family. None of that came easy, though. And that's again, we're going to talk about rejection because not everything was like, "Yep, you got it. Here you go." There were times when the answer was no, not now, not yet. And I've, we're going to talk about that today. But um, I think the most important thing is, and this kind of goes back to some of the interviews we've done with other people on the other show, is that perseverance is everything. If you want to be successful, you've got to persevere. And and by the way, the, the toothbrush story now comes into this. When I went off, when I was in San Diego and they, they shipped me off to Alabama to go to officer training school, I was thinking like my Navy days. You show up to boot camp with nothing. So I literally brought my toothbrush <laughs> and I put it in my pocket. And I said, I'm, not, they're, I'm sure they're going to provide everything I need. I'm going into the back of the military. And I showed up. Well, it turns out when you go to, when you go to officer training school, they kind of think you're going to bring a few things. Uh. So when I showed up and as they're yelling at me and doing all this stuff and I'm, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And they're like, all right, get your stuff. And I literally reached into my pocket <laughs> and I'm not it. kidding. And I pulled out my toothbrush and just put it and just held it up. And it's like, he didn't know whether to yell. Yeah. He was just like, I don't know what to do. And he was just like, all right, let's go. I was like, <laughs> you know, I was like, so the idea, again, my point being is you can start with nothing yeah. and, and you can find a path and be successful. And that's, and that's, my story in a nutshell and i'm hoping i'm going to bring the lessons throughout that you know that voyage if you will i'm hoping i can bring that to you and help people along as they say it's not where you start it's where you finish and that's one thing we're doing this show is share our stories the good bad and the ugly um i for me it was i i like to start at august 19th 1973 Uh, my parents olindo and ida were born in italy they were soccer and boxing fans um, I, at that age, at eight, eight years old, I was a boxing fan. All I heard was Rocky Marciano, Rocky Graziano, that's it, right? Nino Benvenuti, my mom loved him. But my uncle used to work at Three River Stadium, and um, he was the uh, assistant manager of the Allegheny Club, which was a restaurant slash kind of a country club in the stadium where you could watch the games. So he brought me to the game, and when I saw that stadium, from a distance my eyes had like toothpicks in them i said wow what's that right then he brings me in and i can still smell that scent to this day as at 50 years ago and we go in this beautiful wooded uh room and we go in the elevator and we go to i believe the third floor and opens up there's a beautiful picture of roberto clemente now he's the only one that i knew he's the only person that i knew who he was because he had passed a few months prior. And um, anyway, and I walk through the hallways and I see these pictures of Babe Ruth and who I didn't know who he was and Lou Gehrig and former Pirates and former Steelers. And I just got a feeling I never had before. Then he takes me in the locker rooms. Then I see these guys in uniform playing around, big guys joking, talking to me. I didn't know who they were. Then I kind of snuck. This is at 1030 in the morning. I go out in the field uh, by myself up this ramp in this 58,000-seat stadium. It was just me, the grounds crew. My uncle was kind of 
in the background, talking to Manny Sangian. And I saw the big scoreboard. I said, man, I love this. This is even before the game even started. I love the atmosphere. I love how I felt. Watched the game, of course. Didn't say a peep during the game. Went home, didn't say a peep. My dad asked me, uh, did you have a good time? I said, I did. But I think I know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. He says, what's that? I said, I want to be in professional baseball. It's just what I said. And he said, okay, very simple. If that's what you want to do, then me and your mom will do everything we can to give you every opportunity in the world to make your dreams come true. Gave me a hug. My mom said, as long as you do good in school and all, don't get hurt, and we'll do everything we can for you. And they did. They Again, uh, I had the best parents in the world for me, and they, they were unbelievably supportive. But and through the years, I was a very good player. Things didn't work out playing-wise. We'll get to that. Um, then I went into coaching. I, age 18, I, I was an assistant coach at Quaker Valley High School. My uh, old head coach, Rich Wozniki, who was a dear, dear friend, hired me as an assistant, volunteer assistant for five years. I was head coach in 20, at uh, 1988. I was 23. Then I went on to Penn State Beaver as an assistant, uh, interim head coach in, uh, in 1990, won a championship. Uh, and we won that championship October 8th, 1990, uh, my mom's two-year anniversary of her passing and my dad's birthday, October 8th. Then from there, I went to Community College Beaver County as an assistant, then uh, head coach in 93. Then I went to Duquesne University as an assistant from 94 to 96. Dropped out of sight a couple years. We'll go into that another time. Then I was I got a, uh, back into coaching at Quigley Catholic High School, so from Division One to Quigley, Quigley Catholic High School of 800 kids, uh, not 800 kids, $800 a, a year. That's how much I was making. But I loved it there. Loved it. Coach Driscoll was wonderful. My players were wonderful. I was there two years. Then I got my pro job. My dream came true, uh, January of 2001. And there these stories uh, about all this stuff. But I'm just trying to paint a quick picture. Then I got the Carnegie Mellon University job in 2005. Uh, that's the baseball part of it. Then the business end of it, my dad owned a landscaping business, which I've owned since 1988. Um, and then uh, I do several shows, obviously. This show now, the Talking Business and Life, uh, the Italian Impact Weekly with you, Steve, and I appreciate you and doing the show. Then uh, the Boxing Authorities TV show with two wonderful people, uh, Luther Dupree Jr. and Smoking Jim Frazier. Then we do Steel City Sports World, which I'm a co-host to that. And uh, Steeler Pre-Snap, we, us, us three do that show. And, um, and then I do some speaking, uh, some motivational speaking, which is a business in itself. Uh, then I'm looking to do some consulting work in that, in that world. I wrote a book, uh, Lead from the Heart Up, Not the Neck Up, How to Create a Positive Wing Culture on the Field and in the Office. It's a leadership book. And um, so, you know, and I'm, I'm married now for 25 years. I have a, a Linda I've known since 87. And then my daughter, Ida, who we named after my mom, is 22, just graduated from Pitt, going to grad school. But, you know, you said the word, you had to be persistent. And today's topic is dealing with rejection. And boy, did I get rejected. Boy, did I get rejected. And But uh, when I'm going to be speaking for this one particular company, I'm going to announce that as soon as it's all the T's are crossed and the, dot, the I's are dotted. I'm going to be talking to high schools. I'm going to be talking to businesses about leadership but high schools, it'll be a motivational thing. I said, how can I tell them my story without being too long? And I was going for a walk one night, and it hit me, the word top, T-O-P. I had to be tough, I had to overcome, and I had to be persistent. And that's some of the things I'm going to try to relay 
to our audience. You, you have to be tough on things, and I'll give stories on how to be tough. Uh, I had to overcome some things, and I had to be persistent. And that's how I got from point A to point B. My dreams have come true at the risk of sounding funny about it. Everything I ever wanted to do, I'm doing. I want to do them on a higher level. Okay, I wanted to be in pro baseball, I'm in it. I wanted to coach, I'm coaching college. I wanted to write a book, I'm writing a book. I used to pretend that I was being interviewed on shows years ago, and I, I, went, I used to pretend I had a show. I'm doing a ton of shows. I used to pretend I was uh, playing in celebrity golf tournaments. I've been playing in celebrity golf tournaments now for 21, 22 years, whatever it is. And um, I always wanted to write a book, I did that. Uh, pretty much just about everything I ever wanted to do, I'm doing now. Greg Norman says he... Only he's only accomplished maybe about 30% of what he's capable of. I only feel I've done maybe about 15, 20%. I feel I have a long way to go. And um, so, you know, we're going to be sharing our life stories, and that's kind of a picture of a, a painting of my life. And, you know, there was obviously uh, some tough times. You know, my mom passed at age 48. My dad had a bunch of health issues that we had to deal with. And then I had some family members that I adored that uh, hurt me. Broke my heart, um, really broke my heart. And then some people that you deal with in the business world that kind of make things harder than they have to be as well. So um, we're going to share our stories. And we don't have to give titles. We don't have to give names. That's not important. It's how we dealt with those things because I guarantee you something like your story, they don't have to be in the military to have gone through that. They don't have to work in baseball or landscaping or speaking or shows to have dealt with what we've dealt with. Um, and I think we'll touch a lot of nerves and and there's not going to be a lot of there's not a lot of shows out there, but I don't know how many are going to be like this. We, this isn't even scripted, like the boxing authorities. We, we we do our thing, we run with it. This I say, hey, Steve, we're going to talk about this. Okay, bang, that's it. Yeah, it's funny you say that because uh, I don't I don't think people understand that. Like we don't script what we do, even our other show. I mean, it's. We'll have a few questions, Jen Depp. We'll do some Bullet homework points. on that. Right. But it's not like, okay, ask him this. No, no, no. I'll ask him that. Right. It's like, hey, I'm going to talk about this. Okay, I'm going to talk about yeah. that. And you know what? That kind of goes back to something that like, when, when I coached, I've had some very bad seasons. And, and not necessarily bad because of the wins and losses. Just sometimes the chemistry between the players and the coach just isn't there. Let's just be honest. Sometimes it just – you might have a good coach and good players, and for whatever reason – your style and their style doesn't work. I've had those seasons, right. and then I've had seasons where the wins and losses may have not have been there, but yet the players and I were, were clicking, and it was awesome. Mm -hmm. And um, but, but what I've, where I, what I learned later on, especially when I started coaching more competitive, is that I used to make the mistake of trying to say, well, I'm not sure. So I got to figure out, you know, what this person, like, for example, I coached hockey. I never played in the pros. I never played in semi-pro, never played collegiate. I'm a, I'm a beer leaguer at best. But I was coaching pretty competitive hockey. And I remember the GM was, uh, I think he played major juniors in, uh, in Canada. So he's a better player and everything. But I just remember him, like, I just felt like I had to, I don't want to say compete with him, but I felt like I had to, like, I got to watch what I'm doing because I don't want him to think that, like, I don't know what I'm doing. But I knew what I was doing. And I've the problem there, yeah. was, right, and you're like, you're thinking, and you, you, almost, you almost denigrate yourself and no one else is doing it. And what I learned, though, after that season, I ended up getting fired by the end of that season. That was, uh, it, it was the, one of the worst experiences, but at the end of the day, that firing was probably the, I was so happy for a lot of reasons, we'll talk about that, but I was so happy to be done with that. But at the same time, when I coached the next year, I took a lot of lessons from that. 
And one of the biggest lessons I took was sincerity. Sincerity. Not that I was not being sincere, Mm -hmm. but I was like, I don't want to do that. I can't say that. I got to be careful because I don't want him. So I was kind of holding myself back from being who I was. So after I said, heck with this. If anybody wants to fire me, fire me. But I got to be me. I got to do my thing and I got to be me. If it don't work out, it don't work out. But at least I'll look in the mirror and I'll say, hey, you did what you thought was right. You can live with that. Exactly. That happened to me. Real quick, I mentioned all the things. That there, and there's two companies that I'll make the announcement once it's final because this is a business show as well that I'm going to be, one, I'll have an equity part of it, maybe the other one too. But anyway, I'll, I'll fill you in with that. But Steve, your story, I was coaching at a particular college. I, I got the job in a huddle, not a press conference, not a meeting, in a huddle. I was, the, the guy said, do you want to coach? I said, yeah. I mean, I was assistant. Long story short, if I did well, I was going to be the head coach. And so I was, you know, I was all wound up, right? And um, long story short, we'll get to the other details another time. But I, I would call a signal. I was 25. I would call a signal, and I'd peek to see if he agreed with my signal. And he'd go, He'd always make all these damn noises, right? Everything I did was wrong, okay? And I, so I'd switch it up. I'd call a steal. He'd, go, he'd roll his eyes. I, I'd call off the steal. I'm peeking. And then I'll never forget, we were at this one field, and he said, uh, are you going to take this picture out or not? Because, again, I wanted him to like what I was doing. I wanted that job. And we were not doing very well at the time as a team. And... Um, he said, you going to take this picture out or not? I said, yeah, okay. So I opened the gate from the, from the dugout, took three steps, and I said, to hell with it. I actually didn't say that. I said something else. And I turned around, and I said, I'm keeping him in there. And I saw the guys in the team that's like, ah. Uh, and this one kid who I knew, I've known since he was a kid, he says, if you didn't, if you took that picture out, I'd have cussed you out. Right? And so then from that on, I did my thing. We went on a tear, and we end up winning a, a collegiate championship. But I know exactly what you're talking about. I kept peeking over my shoulder because I wanted to impress him. I wanted to. I wasn't being me. Not sincerity it's, it's, has nothing to do with it. Insecurity is the right word. I think. I think probably we were all a little bit, especially when you're going to go against. Sure. If you're if you go up a level, you're going to be insecure. But you know what? That's what a lot of you know. And we'll tie that into a business and athletes mm-hmm. right now because that's what makes successful leaders in business, and that's what makes successful athletes. Most mm-hmm. successful, they're co- even though they're cocky, they're this, they're, yeah. no, they're not. They just believe in what they're doing and they're confident in themselves, and they go forth and they do it. If you don't, it's like we, we kind of jokingly say this, if, if you don't sell you, who's gonna sell you? So if you don't believe in you, who's gonna believe in you? In, in, in my book, I'm gonna plug my book a lot. Go for it, but, man. But, uh, man, if you don't believe in you. That's right. <laughs> my dad, four or five doctors were gonna cut his leg off. Four or five doctors. One of them was going to cut it off twice, from the ankle, then knee. I was going to say, I don't know how they're going to do that, but I got it. <laughs> yeah. Two different locations. I so got two it. locations. So we're going to sew it back on, and we're going to do it again. <laughs> and and, and I, my dad says, is there anything we can do, anything experimental? No, no, nothing. Well, we came across a guy named Dr. Paul Collier, who I just hollered at him the other day. Great guy. He's a friend. Love him to death. Him and his wife, Mrs. Collier, Nancy. He looked at my dad's. Uh, my, my friend Dave Nitschai's wife, Laura, was a nurse, and she said, why don't you try Dr. Collier? So we did, and um, he, he looked at my dad's uh, x-rays and everything like that, and he said, well, I, <laughs> I, I have a lot of work to do, but I can, I can get it done. I can save your legs. My dad said, but five doctors said they were going to cut my legs off. 
or my leg off. He says, and he didn't know I was in baseball. He said, if the bases are loaded with no outs, I want to be the pitcher with the ball in the mound. I want to be the, the pitcher on the mound with the ball in my hand. When he said that, I thought, oh, man. Now, Did you hand me your book? No, I didn't write it back then. This is in, this is in 98, but um, I think, oh, no, no, 99. But anyway, uh, he was not cocky, extremely confident. I mean, very confident. And like, there is a difference between cocky yeah, and confident. Yeah, yeah absolutely. very confident. And my dad, he was good. My dad never, he did not not lose his legs. So, you know, at one time, my dad, too, he had heart surgery. And Dr. George McGovern, another great guy, he, was, he came in to talk to my dad and talked about the procedure. Very casual, very, he said, well, we're going to operate here in about two hours. My dad said, uh, so what do you think, doc? And he says, in these hands, he said, we're going to be fine. And my dad just felt good. Now, you wouldn't want him to say, well, yeah, exactly. I don't know. It's like, what do you want him to say? But yeah. It's not about no, what you no, say, but it's what do you believe it. right. It's whether they believe it It's like it with me. I've said it, and I'll say it. I, there's not a betting hitter, better hitting coach around. I mean, I'm that good at it. That It's not being confident or cocky. It's just the truth. What do you want me to do? Lie to you? It's the truth. Would you rather me say, Eh, I don't know. Maybe I can't do it. The hell with it. No. Now, if you ask me to help you with algebra, you're in trouble. As I say, I know. I okay. know my strengths. I know my no weaknesses. Strengths. And you know what? That's funny because again, this is a business. Life doesn't matter. If you, not only should you be confident, you should be you should be realistically confident about what you can do. And I'll, and I'll, yeah. I'll tie this to a business piece. Um, we're slipping a little bit from rejection, right. but yet it comes back. Um, it's like when people go for a job, and you know they want to get the job. So they bring their resume and they've got all this, you know, resumes are just basically fiction most of the time. Very few people are actually 100% honest on their resume. You've seen enough studies have said that. But you've got this kind of fiction. Everywhere. Wait, they said they're what? They're honest about it? Yeah. What'd they say? What'd they're not say? honest they're about not honest. their resume. Right. <laughs> most people lie on their yeah. resume yeah. or they exaggerate. Especially if you're going for a government job, you better not be honest or you're not even, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> wink, wink. Um, no, but the point being though is if you're gonna put something on your resume, Okay, let's say you're being honest. You're going to put something on your resume and you say, I know this. Listen, you put something on your resume and you say, I know this, and they call you in for it. Mm -hmm. That whole, I fake it till I make it, you're going to look really stupid. That's right. And so I've always tried to be like, I'm going to put on a resume what I know I can do or what I've done. I'm going to be honest about it. And look, if I can't do it, I can't do it. But I'll tell you what, I've interviewed a lot of people for jobs over the years. I mean a lot. I have hired a lot of people, both on the federal side and on um, the non-government side. And, you know, I never had a problem with someone saying, I don't know that. Now, if they're saying, I don't know it to every single question I'm asking, like, <laughs> All right, maybe you're not the right person. But if like once in a while they say, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure about that, I don't know that, but, but this, okay, I can yeah. deal with that. Um, you don't have to know everything, but know what you know, trust yourself yeah. if you know it. People, I'm, how many people I see also see the other side of resumes? where people will put a resume and they'll be like, um, I didn't really do much. And like, let's see, in some cases I've worked with these people and I'm like, well, what about this, this, this? And they're like, well, I didn't know if I wanted to put that down there because I'm not an expert. Like, did you do it? Did yeah, you do it? put right. it down. So people don't have that confidence in themselves and then they can't figure out why they're not successful. That's right. Don't lie about it. Don't be cocky about it, nah. but believe in yourself. Real quick, you know that I hate this question. I, I haven't really had to do uh, an interview, like the past two, these two companies, one out of Canada, one out of Portland, want me to get involved with them. And, and I want to be involved with them too, good people. And I'll, hopefully I'll announce that soon. But it's not an interview type thing, it's just a conversation. But I remember one time I did an interview and the guy said to me, um, so what's your biggest weakness? 
I said, well, probably a little too humble. I told my is oh, what God. I said. I don't just, think he like, this is Claudio saying I'm a little too humble. Well, because I don't know what the hell to say. I don't have any weaknesses. I mean, now if, again, if hey, you want buddy. me to, in this bit, like as Open a coach. Open the dictionary up. Look up perfection. Uh, yeah, that's me. That's well, that picture is me. It was it was a baseball coaching job. It wasn't, right. you know, like if you need me for math, uh, forget it or anything like that. No. This now, was listen, I'm going to put you on the spot here then. Good. Are you that good that this team in Pitts, this minor league team we have in Pittsburgh, could actually win games with you at the helm, or is the talent so let, bad? Let me say this: you have to, you have to have the horses. Luther had right, a show on right, Steel right. City. What's more important, the coaching or the players? Uh, yeah, I'm damn good, but how come, have, how come we won championships both at CMU and Penn State or some other places? When I had this, the, you you have to have I think both good players. You yeah. have to have both. Yeah, both, but but I've known it, the players are most important. You have to have that. I tell you why. More important, yes. Well, I mean, you definitely have to have the talent. You cannot whether it's business or sports or whatever. You can't be successful without the talent. I agree with that. But but good leadership takes advantage of the talent. But I've seen some some championship teams win, and the coach is not that good, but the players carried them. Oh yeah, and and I've seen it. (laughs) And I've seen it. So it's been a while since we've seen it in Pittsburgh for a certain team, but we'll leave it at that. But could I could I help? I'm not going to lie to you because Rocky Marciano one time always mess up this quote. They asked him if he could beat somebody. He said, "If I said I can, I'm being cocky. If I say I can't, I'm lying." There you go. Or no, bragging. If I say I can beat him, I'm bragging. If I say I can, I'm lying. So that's what I am about your question there. But um, so. Uh, but yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about our topic today, dealing with rejection. And um, whenever I do talk about that, whenever I talk to, to kids or whatever, I, I have 137 rejection letters that I kept because I would write an organization over and over. And you know, as a matter of fact, after including some restraining orders after a few yeah, of those probably, letters, yeah. now, Claudio, please stop right. writing us <laughs> because there's so many teams, organizations. They have minor league teams and so on and so forth. And then I start writing colleges and stuff like that. But I remember after I was 25 years old, won a collegiate championship my first year as a head college coach and all that, and I said, man, I'm on the way. I'll never forget. We, were, we, we ended up winning that game big. I was on the, the steps of the dugout, and I remember looking. There was a stadium, and there was, an, there was a building. I looked in between. I said, I'm 25. I said, we just won a college championship my first year as a head coach. I knew I was good at this. The pro teams are going to just jump through the door. It took another... 11 years before I got my my pro shot uh, from the Global Scouting Bureau, which I'm still with, as I said, general manager and scout. But um, it was hard getting those letters. And, you know, thank you for your interest in the Dodgers, but the position you are currently applying for is already being filled. We will keep your name on file. Best in baseball. Boom, right? And it was the same. I said, is this the same person writing me? <laughs> they outsource it. They outsource it. But, but the thing that was hard, yeah, it's a blow to your ego, but the thing that was most hard was because once the playing didn't work, um, I had three tryouts. Two of them I was hurt. The third one I was completely fine. Come, I worked my tail off. I would go to the batting cages and hit. My dad would hit me flies. I'd go to my old elementary school, get a lacrosse ball, throw it against the wall. I put pebbles on the ground. Work on my reaction time. Work on my glove hand transition. Um, I would run with ankle weights. I was blessed with a good arm. I could play multiple positions and I could really hit. Switch hitter, but I was a very good hitter. I went to the was a pirate trial camp and um, I ran the sixty. 
Scouts went seven zero and under. I ran about six nine eight seven zero whatever. That was about which is right what they right. want. I run, and I swear to you, I can still see it to this day. I can see my fists pumping, and I, I'm thinking to myself, "What the?" It was like chariots of fire, slow motion, right? I said, "Is this an eighty yard dash?" I'm thinking this while I'm running, and then I crossed the line. And I said, you did a Forrest Gump, you kept running. No, I, that was, yeah, I should have. I said, wow. I just kept running. <laughs> it was just a terrible, I, I didn't even know what I ran. But I knew, I knew for a fact it wasn't seven. It was probably like a, close to eight. It was just terrible. So I said, okay, I'll show off my arm. So I was in right field. They put us all in right field. And I said, I had a very, very good arm. I get the first ball. I throw it as hard as it. the mechanics were good. The body, the weight shift, the fall, everything was good. Uh, two bounces. I never had two bounces. To, to, from, home, to home plate? To right field, oh. to third base. I'm okay. sorry. I never did that. Two bounces. And I'll never forget. I went like this. I shook my arm. I went like that. You know how you do that? Oh, he's injured already. Yeah. And I get the second one. Three bounces. And the third throw, hell, I think it's still rolling. Okay. <laughs> So then the next thing I said, well, I'll just improve. I'll just show them I'm a great hitter and I can play multiple positions and all that kind of stuff. I was a very flashy fielder. I uh, make basket catches, snatch catches, all that crazy stuff. But I was a very good line drive hitter. And they announced the names of the people who were going to go hit. They didn't announce my name. And I remember we were in center field. I remember I had my legs crossed. We were sitting down. They announced, you know, 10, 12, 15 names. Mine wasn't announced. And I remember I had a smile on my face, but I was not happy. I had to go home and tell my parents that I was done. And they believed in me, everything. This was to play. And then not only did I have to tell my parents that I was done, I was getting rejected, which was my fault. I didn't do well. But the people who were against me wanted to see me fail and told me those wonderful lines like, time to quit baseball, grow up and be a man, get a real job, be realistic. It's a pipe dream. Constant, constant. I'm talking about weekly, and these are people that I cared for. Never let up. Never let. They just busted my chops constantly. And I was going to show, I was using my worst enemy to be my best ally. It motivated me, but I failed. I was rejected. I failed. And, um, you know, but what did I do? It was tough. I, I kept going. It was persistent. I said, well, the playing didn't work. I already got five, a couple years in as a coach. I'll slide into that. And I got a lot of rejections, as I said, for coaching, 137 plus until I got my break. But, you know, how did I deal with it? And then I had the thing, not just dealing with the actual rejection, which is hard enough. I felt I was letting my parents down. Then those people busting my chops, am I proving them right? And I put all my eggs in that basket. What else was I going to do? I mean, I now, yeah, I do a bunch of different things. But back then, it was I was in landscaping business, which I did not want to do. Uh, for my career and playing baseball. Not, for two weeks, I was lost. I, but how did I deal with rejection? You know what? Like everything else, you, you get up, you dust yourself off, and you give it another shot. You give it another shot. And, and, and one last thing, There's, and this is just a story because somebody kind of believed it and took it word for word, but um, it's an analogy. The guy has a donkey, and it's his favorite uh, donkey, and uh, or favorite horse, donkey, horse, whatever. And um, he falls in the water well, and he can't get him out. He, I think it was a horse. Yeah, it was a horse. He can't get him out. He can't get him. He tries to save him, and he can't. So he throws dirt on him. He wants to bury him. 
throws dirt on him. Throws more dirt on him. The more dirt he throws, the horse shakes it off. Throws another shovel of dirt. Horse shakes it off. Keeps shake, shaking it off so much that he steps on the dirt and he gets out of the well. So that's what I did. I kept shaking off the rejections. It hurt. And so, oh, yeah, it was great. I got rejected. No, it, it, it hurt, but I moved on. I kept going. I kept believing. I kept trying. I kept working. I kept at it, kept at it, kept at it. And um, I'll tell the story about how I got my pro job. But it was hard getting rejected. And, again, not just the rejection and the ego and I'm good, but you guys don't want me. No, it was not just that. It was my parents. I felt I was letting them down. And those people who were busting my chops. We told you you weren't going to make it. We told you weren't good enough. We told you you were going to be a bust. That's what they told me. You're going to be a failure. You're not going to make any money. And it was hard. But I look back on them, and I'm so glad that I did get rejected. Or else I'd be on the radio, you say, or on the podcaster. So, Claudio, tell us about your career. Well, the first job I interviewed for, right. I got it, and everybody was supportive, and here I am. Which is not reality. What, what else? Well, that's right. it. Everything was right. great. Right. But, and you know that's not reality. Nah. And, and you know what? It's funny because uh, a lot of times people that are insecure or unhappy with their lives are going to be the ones that are going to not want to see you succeed. But they were doing well in their lives. Yeah, Very but well. There's all, but, but there's there's all kinds of... They were doing still, what they wanted to do. Yeah. I, I, I believe... I believe you can put on an outer shell that doesn't reflect what's inside. Yeah. There's, there's no other reason. There's no logical reason why you would want to wish badness for anyone else unless you had something in you, whether it's jealousy, whether it's, well, I wanted to do that. And now there, maybe they, like, you know, who knows? Maybe somebody says, I wanted to be a baseball player when I was a kid. And I, mean, I, I don't know what that. The, it was just, I look back on it later, no, they were just sick. Because right. I didn't ask for that. I, I didn't brag about anything. Right. I gave them credit. I, on interviews, I, I was very affectionate with them, and the nicer I was, the more they punched me. Well, and finally, the hell with it. Yeah, no, you know what? That's funny, but I mean, obviously, there's something. To your point, there's something broken inside of them. Oh yeah, no, they're and, the ones with the problem, or, not exactly, me. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. No, and you know what? You can't. If folks are listening, you know what? You're going to have those people. You are going to have those people in your life. First of all, I would recommend not having those people in your life. And you know what? If a person, right, if someone's in your life and they are not positively helping you succeed or build you up, you have to ask yourself, why is this person in my life? Is it, what guilt do you have that you feel that you need to be with someone who doesn't help you be a better person, who makes you feel bad? My it's, friend Rick Mitchell says, if you're not for me, you're against me. That's it. That's it. And there's no, and you, and you know what? You owe nothing to anyone in this world. Truth be told, at the end of the day, you owe it to yourself to be the best person you can be. And if people are going to, if you're going to put people in your life that aren't going to help you be there or they're going to tear you down, truth is, those are the people you're going to get rid of. You know what? Because you're going to have enough problems and you don't need those people putting dirt on you. That's right. To, put you, to make your, your point. Um, but to Claudia's point on the rejection, at the end of the day, here's your takeaway. If you're listening to this show, here's your takeaway. Number one, get rid of those people out of your life because they're not going to help you. Unless you can find a way to feed off them, but I wouldn't want them in my life. I got enough problems in my life. We all have enough problems in our life. Why invite people into your life that create more negativity? We just don't need it. And two, I would tell you, if you think you are going through a bad time, there is the old adage, this is as old as the day is long, is there's always somebody worse than you. That's for sure. There's always somebody that tried out and didn't make it before you tried out and didn't make it. There's always somebody who applied for that job and didn't get it before you didn't get it. There's always somebody who went for the promotion and didn't get the promotion. There's always someone who thought I had a great marriage and ends in divorce. It happens to everyone else. The difference between the people that 
rebound from that. And the people that call it quits on life are the people that persevere and say, you know what, this stinks, but I'm not done. And I'm going to keep moving forward. And, and Claude, you just gave a good story. And again, as we do different episodes, we'll talk about, like I gave you my kind of story in a nutshell. But to Claudio's point, if you think every single thing that happened to me was the first time I go around, the reason I ended up getting out of the Navy, and we'll talk about this another day, was because it took me a year to get them to approve me to get into the Air Force because of some medical issues I had out of the Navy. Yeah. In fact, the, the <laughs> detailer, the recruiter, he wanted to drop me because I hurt my wrist really bad in the Navy. And they wanted to say, well, you ain't physically qualified. It took me a year to convince them to the point where I had to switch recruiters. I had to go back to several doctors, but I didn't quit. I could have quit, and I said, oh, I'm not physically fit, but I said, no, I want this. Right. And just because you want something doesn't mean you're going to get it. But at least you run all of your options to ground, and you do everything in your power, because that's all you can control in this world is what you can control. Get the negative people out of your life. Focus on what you want. Stay as positive as you can be because you're going to have rejections. And most importantly, though, when they come, know you are not the first. You will not be the last. But the people that are successful are the ones that persevere. And, you know, real quick, I, I said August 19th, 73, I loved being in that atmosphere, right? The baseball atmosphere, right? So, okay, it didn't work as a player, but I still wanted to be in that realm, that world. So what I do? Coaching scouting there was there's an old story and it's a true story i don't know the name there was a girl who wanted to be a country singer and she loved country so she left uprooted like pretty much our guest on italian impact weekly uh, aj uh, rags but she went to nashville right that's where the country singers are right the ages of everybody so she didn't make it but she was talking to some different agents and she saw what they did for a living. They were still involved with country music. They weren't singing, but they were in that world. She became a very successful country agent, country singer agent. I didn't make it as a player. Looking back, I don't think I would not have liked that lifestyle to be honest with you. And sometimes the good Lord does yeah, things for exactly. a reason. Yeah, and, exactly. And I'm glad just like your relationships. And I'm sure they're saying it about me. Boy, I'm glad I'm not with Claudio. They're probably not saying that. But, but you know, mm -hmm. you, you look back and you say, well, <laughs> thankfully that didn't work the way, you know, I wanted it to. I, I ended up with a great wife that I would have never married anybody else. So, it worked out Sometimes for what we think is best for us right. is not best right. for us. So, but I'm still obviously very heavily in waist, head, neck deep in, in professional baseball and college baseball and training and all that. So it worked out good. So I'm still in that world. No, I didn't do it as a player. So it w I was rejected, but in a sense I wasn't, you know. And even, you were strengthened. Through the rejection. But even, even for example, some people say, well, you're not with a major league team. I could have been. I've had offers to be with professional baseball teams. I love where I'm at. I get my cake and eat it too. I'm coaching college, and I'm scouting professionally. And I never miss my daughter's event. And I know my wife. And I know my daughter. And I get to do shows like this. Well, I'll tell you what, funny, real quick, last thought, because we're going to wrap up here. But um, it's funny you say that, because a lot of people, it, it's just like we talked about this before, a lot of people they see the end result. Oh, these athletes are so happy. It's like, depends on the kind of life you want to live. Some of those guys, they don't see their kids. They don't see their wife very often. A lot of them end up in divorce. They see the baby. They don't see the labor right. pains. They, exactly right. right. They, there's a, they miss a lot. And, a, you know, maybe they end up, you know, I'm not saying they all end up on drugs or alcohol, but there are a lot of guys that end <laughs> right. up, you know, they, they, let's just say when their careers are over and they're all of a sudden alone and they've missed their life because they were out playing, you know, whatever the sport sure. was for millions of dollars. Hey, there's a lot of stories of guys that aren't doing so well and not necessarily doing so because it's a business product. It's because it's an emotional product. Okay, I've done this my whole life. Now it's over. Now what? Now what? 
Right. We'll talk about that another episode. Yep. Yep. Um, all right, Claudio, we just got through our first show. I liked it. So. It, it, was, it was good. It was passionate, uh, just like we, we knew it would be. And we did deal with rejection. We also dealt with uh, our career. Well, we painted a picture of our careers, and uh, this, this will be fun. I'm looking forward to Listen, it. Listen, there's a couple of rejects. We've got a lot of stories on reject. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it was good, good. good stuff. So, again, I want to thank you all for joining us. And, uh, you know, this is not Italian Impact Weekly for those who recognize our names. But, uh, you know, we're going to try and do this show pretty much as, as often as we can. We're thinking weekly or so. Yeah. So keep yeah. on the lookout for it. And uh, we'll continue to promote the shows, promote our other our ventures. In fact, one last thing I do want to mention is that Claudio and I will be forming a uh, media company. Um, we're actually going through the paperwork right now, in fact. And uh, you can expect a lot more from us, but also from a lot of folks that we're going to be working with to, um, you know, hopefully bring you a lot of good content. You know, the, the, the intent is not to shock and get you screaming and get you all angry. You've got enough of that out there. Our, our intent is to maybe give you some way to step a little better in life and just be a little happier with yourself. Well said. And like I said, we want to have impact on you. And uh, we appreciate you listening. Tell your friends about it. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Talking Business and Life with Claudio Relsano and Steve Mancini. Tune in next week for more impactful business and life experiences with Claudio and Steve.